Live from the Coachella Valley, time for another hour of the desert scene, art exhibitions to modernism, music festivals to live theater, big screen, little screen, and very little screen. This is the Culture Corner with Bonnie Gilgallen and Brian Mendoza. Here's Bonnie and Brian on iHub Radio. And welcome to the Culture Corner here with Brian Mendoza. We got a lot, a lot of great guests, a lot of great news today. Uh, it's a little hot out there. Oh, it is. Stay cool. So what do we got coming up, Brian? So our first guest is actually going to be here to talk about the Marilyn Monroe statue that has recently come to the Coachella Valley. It has not only sparked not only controversy, but conversations about misogyny and art and women's issues. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it'd be very important to bring on somebody that had a lot to say about that. Absolutely. So definitely. And I think it's important to allow this discourse to certainly, you know, come to a peace, uh, hopefully an understanding, you know, maybe m- understand the issue a little bit better. And have everybody have their say. Yeah. Of course. And so I wanted to bring on, so I currently have on Jamie Thratchenberg um, from Courageous Resistance of the Desert and Women's Issues com- uh, Committee. How are you doing t- today, Jamie? I'm doing well, thank you. Hi, Brian and Bonnie. Welcome. Welcome to the show. So tell us, give us your take on this whole thing. Well, um, there's a lot of issues that are surrounding the Forever Maryland statue. Uh, There's um, discussions here about whether this statue is art. I'm not interested in discussing that per se. Um, There are uh, issues about placing the statue in a uh, public street after there was a a measure uh, voted on for that street. I'm not here to you know, discuss that. That's an, a separate issue. Uh, there's issues about whether the statue should be in the park that it was supposed to be in, right next to the museum. Um, I'm I'm more interested in discussing the representation of this statue and the continuation of misogyny and the perpetration of objectification of women and sexism, and that's really. Um, more important to me, yes, I don't agree that the statue should be placed in a public um, street uh, right in front of the museum. And I think uh, that uh, what it represents uh, sends the wrong message, certainly um, to children um, when they see it. So, um, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with the fact that this comes from, this is an iconic scene, so to speak, Mm -hmm. from the movie The Seven-Year Itch. Right, yeah. Um, And the the only thing that that movie really is remembered for is that blowing up of the skirt scene. Um, However, I think that most people don't realize that uh, Marilyn Monroe took a lot of abuse from Joe DiMaggio, who was her husband at the time, for um, agreeing to do that scene. He actually um, brutally beat her um, um, for it. And um, that says something, that even then, back in that day, he was not uh, pleased with it. But the representation of that scene... Um, that makes Marilyn Monroe or placed her into this unenviable position of actually being a a circus freak sex object continues in perpetuity. Uh, The history of this is um, well documented. Her words are well documented. Even on the day of the um, premiere of this movie, she looked at that image out of a window at the marquee and said, that's all they're going to think of me. She was appalled by it, mm-hmm. that representation. 
and she fought her entire career to escape it. You know, it's it's. So, inter- um, go ahead. No, I was going to say that it's actually. I'm actually really glad you've mentioned that because I'm actually a big fan of Marilyn Monroe, and I have always had a difficult time even as a fan, and I can't imagine how Marilyn went through it, trying to convince people that her work and her art, that she herself had to battle so much, and that she was talented and brilliant, and that she was like this really intelligent, wonderful woman. And that for us to just see her as like this beautiful blonde woman, like she is beautiful, but we also have, but with beauty, it also comes with this like, I image. She was but, more than that. Yeah, she's sir. a lot more than that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah exactly. And she was she was very aware of the powerful impact that she had from her physical presence, but she always longed to be recognized as a serious and talented actor. And she worked very hard on her vocation. Mm-hmm. She even said, and is quoted as saying, I want to be an artist, not an erotic freak. I don't want to be sold to the public as a celluloid aphrodisical. Um, she was stuck because of the studio system mm-hmm. at that time where basically the studios owned the actors, you know, yeah. n- not unlike, you know, Judy Garland was forced into barbiturate use using speed to stay thin by mm-hmm. the studio. Yeah. Louis B. Mayer. All right. So it's the same type of thing. Marilyn could not choose her role. She was told what she had to do. If she didn't take the role, then she lost the job. She, she wouldn't work. I also wanted to mention that even in roles that she wanted to make, they would cut out scenes that could have in some ways gotten her Oscar nominations. Like I remember I read somewhere that um, Bus Stop, that that movie was her favorite role and she was always disappointed that they cut out a very important monologue that she felt that if they had kept in the movie would have gotten her an Oscar nomination. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people Mm -hmm. have said that Bus Stop should have been her first movie to get her nomination and so even in movies where she had some control over what she wanted to do she was not allowed to even get the full the full benefit of it yeah yeah, exactly right 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 well you know sexuality determined the roles she landed Mm -hmm. and they reduced her to this two-dimensional character that pandered to the male fantasy you know, women in the 50s, they didn't have the clout to demand their terms in Hollywood. So even though she verbalized that she wanted that scene from Bus Stop, mm-hmm. they didn't care. They, you yeah. know, and so she grew, she totally grew weary of playing that dumb blonde and wanted to have a more, more of a say in, in the role she was given and the scripts that she read. She even told the Life magazine writer that an actress is not a machine, but they treat you like one. Mm-hmm. She was, so that she was she was acutely aware of that, and she was actually I've read several books about her, um, far more intelligent than people gave her credit for. She wrote poetry and read a lot, and she yeah it was it was an act. She even said that was the, that whole sort of even though she fought against it, but she also knew to a certain degree that that was her bread and butter. And so that the, the Marilyn that you saw with the platinum hair and the furs and all was uh, separate from Norma Jean Baker, who she really was inside. And I also, think. I remember exactly. that, she, that she started her own production company and the movie The Prince and the Showgirl. Like, say what you want about the movie. I, I think it's not the greatest movie, but I still think it's wonderful that she is a woman in the 50s, an actress, started her own production company to choose the role she got it and unfortunately because of the movie being more serious and a little bit more low-key it didn't get the love that i think that 
I think it deserves. I think it's not the boring movie that people have made it out to be. But mm-hmm. I think the Prince and the Showgirl, you know, is very important in her career because it showed that she could have mm-hmm. that much power over her work. Yeah. Yeah. But because it kept, exactly. she kept, she kept getting denied that. Jamie, I have a question right. for you. Well, it's, it would, yeah. would um, I'm thinking that, and I've done Marilyn, I've performed this, and I actually, when the statue was here, there was a contest and performing Marilyn, and I won. But anyway, um, if she, if that statue were her in the pink uh, dress with the gloves from from uh, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, that was obviously much more tasteful. Would it would I mean that would be better? I think. Would you be okay with that if the, if she were dressed differently? Well, I, I think what, what's important to understand here is that that scene um, that was photographed um, many times, there were multiple stills um, mm-hmm. of that scene. And in the movie, you never saw her panties, of yeah. course. And I, and I guess, you know, studio um, censors wouldn't have allowed it anyway. Right. But that was an intentional choice by Seward Johnson, the artist, mm. uh, if you'll call him that, um, he he purposefully chose to do something that lewd and revealing. So if if there was a statue of Marilyn Monroe, that isn't the issue. It's the the monument to misogyny that's yeah. the issue here. Right. Um, you know that's that's the key. I mean the objectification part of this as well. You know that the character in the Seven Year Itch didn't have a name. They called her the girl. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember that's that. telling. Yeah. Yeah, that is telling. So, you know, she she even talked about this because everything leaned toward uh, the sexualization of her and, and played into the male fantasy of it. And she had said that in Hollywood, a girl's virtue is much, le- much less important than her hairdo. You're judged by how you look, not by what you are. Mm-hmm. Hollywood is a place where they'll pay you $1,000 for a kiss and 50 cents for your soul. Wow. I know because I turned down the first offer often enough mm-hmm. and held out for the 50. So there there was um, inherent in her. She knew yeah. this was not what she wanted. She yeah. was always a feminist. Uh, she mm-hmm. she even stated that women who seek to, e- to be equal with men lack ambition. Yeah. No. So, she, she said so, that? Oh, good for her. Wow. <laughs> yes, yes, she did. Yeah. Now I want to. Now that we're oh, actually, Bonnie, did you have a question? No, no, go ahead. Oh, okay, I was going to say like, uh, I don't want to cut you off, but I think we're uh, we're getting closer to the end of the segment. I'm honestly, this segment's so good. I honestly didn't realize how yeah. fast it's gone. I want to say thank you again, Jamie, for coming on. But I wanted to ask you okay. what now after the statue has been here and the protests and the celebrations happen. You know, because both of them happen at the same time. I wanted to ask what. What happens now? Like, what are the next moves for you and, and, and the Women's Issues Committee of Courageous Resistance? What happens now for you? Well, uh, you know, this has gotten international attention, and um, Women's March Foundation is very much invested in supporting the cause to have Marilyn moved, um, certainly from Museum Way, but um, uh, eliminated from uh, uh, being on display to begin with, but the first move is to get her out of uh, Museum Way and where children can effectively upskirt her. And so there is um, the next court date is uh, July 20th. That protest and that unveiling on Sunday um, only showed one side. The city made every effort to keep the counter arguments 
uh, quiet uh, by having a bus uh, of music blow, you know, a, a DJ there um, playing over us. Uh, we were prevented from from live interviews, from using a sound system. The city wants to stifle us. And all they want this to be is an Instagram photo op. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead of countering it or at least honoring uh, putting a plaque, per se, on, on a statue in another location that talks about what Marilyn did to fight against this, something. That's a but great idea. Is, is, yeah. So the city is being um, uh, deaf to this. They are pretending that um, there really isn't much opposition. Uh, the survey by Palm Springs Resorts is skewed only to their favor. Uh, but it negates the 343 people who donated for the court case and the 41,000 people who signed the petition uh, from moveon.org. So this isn't over by any stretch. Now, Marilyn is supposed to be a temporary fixture. She's supposedly only to be there for three years. But who's going to pay for her being defaced for lewd photographs? Does Palm Springs really need this image around the world? Worldwide media, as of uh, yesterday, there were about six or seven different international papers, uh, English language, um, citing the sexism and the misogyny of this statue. So this is not dead yet. Jamie, thank you so much. we got to run, but thank you so much for your perspective. It's really helpful to hear both sides of everything. And, uh, you know, continued good work on your, your end. Thank you so much for being here. And I wanted, to say, I wanted to say thank you for coming on and... Honestly, I, I want to hear more about this, so hopefully we'll have you back on to talk more about this after the courtroom date, of course. I would course. love that. Of course. Thank, thank you so you. much, and keep up the good work, okay? okay? Thank, thank you. you. We'll be back Bye with bye-bye. more on the Culture Corner in just a moment. You're listening to Bonnie Gilgallen and Brian Mendoza. Talking arts and entertainment on iHub Radio's The Culture Corner. Here are Bonnie and Brian. So in this segment, we got some news and all that. Yeah. Were you? Oh, were you about to say something, Bonnie? I'm so no, sorry. no, no, no. Go ahead. <laughs> I was gonna say earlier before we went before we actually went on, we talked about the Britney Spears conservatorship. Mm-hmm. Now, now Britney Spears is finally, finally the one who's going to give her own voice here. She actually gave a statement and. For the most part, not not to read the whole statement, she had described her conservatorship as abusive, as controlling, and that she felt like she had to be constantly on tour. Actually, I undermined that. The actual thing was that she was forced to go on tour be, um, against her will, and she's not allowed. To, and she has say, stated she was not allowed to get married to her boyfriend or have kids, and that she has to have an IUD. She cannot have that removed because her father won't let her. And so she has described these... That, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That I got a problem with that. No, me too. I, And Britney Spears has said that she has been very hurt and that she feels really... She apologized to her fans for pretending to be okay all these years, mm-hmm. That, but that she's really not. And the judge has been very sympathetic towards her, saying, you know what, you're very brave for speaking out. And it seems for the most part... Hopefully things are looking up for her. And uh, I, I would like to, because you're, you're really on top of this, Brian. What is the father's argument for continuing this? I think from my understanding, the father 
he he didn't really respond directly to these statements, but he has sort of said, I'm sorry that my daughter has been hurt or has been feeling hurt and all that and that I love her very much. Like, but he didn't say it. He said it through his lawyer. And so I think his his argument is that he wants to make sure his daughter feels safe, quote unquote, and that like she his argument is that he feels like Britney still needs guidance see i i would like where are the uh, experts where are the shrinks where are the family counselors where are the experts who could do an analysis of this and say uh yes she is or no she's not uh, somebody uh, um uh, not not biased an unbiased expert who can look at because and if she's if she's healthy enough to go on tour and make millions of dollars uh, you know it seems to me that she's emotionally healthy enough to take care of her own stuff no, I, I agree with Hello? you. Hello. I agree with you on that because I feel like if, if she can get up and do a whole show every day for a residency, I don't think it's impossible to believe that's that. That's a lot. That's a lot of work and a lot of, you know, mental stress, emotional stress, physical stress. And she's apparently sailing through that and not having a breakdown. So I think that this is this is has gone on way too long and it's time for someone to reassess and it's time for her to let her be an adult and do her own stuff. Yeah, and you even know. then she admits very openly that she would not mind like if she has a conservatorship that it goes to like a bank or something like a neutral party mm-hmm. but not her father. No. She feels that like her father has way too much control over her. Sounds like it, yes. And and as we've mentioned before, the the sad thing is that a lot of conservatorships have a lot of abusive... Become abusive, yeah. They become abusive because of the fact that you have that much power over someone. And in the conversation with Brittany, there have been people that have had caused her some trouble in the past finally supporting her. But I don't... I don't buy, let's say, Perez Hilton. You know, the not per, not Paris Hilton, but the, Perez the Hilton. Other, he's like a gossip guy. Yeah. yeah. So he has finally apologized for all the jokes and all mm-hmm. the stuff. And I'm going to be honest, too little, too late. Yeah, that, that's absolutely. What I, absolutely. I, I feel like if you made money off of Britney Spears between that time, I feel like we all, to some extent, added to this because she would not have needed to have a conservatorship if we didn't constantly push her over the mm-hmm. edge into mm-hmm. this breakdown because... I've said this before. I've seen people in private break down way worse than this, and they don't get abused. And like we said, the whole thing with the shaved head, which was really weird, that was, what, 13 years ago? Yeah. That was a long time ago. And, you know, I am a huge proponent because I've had this kind of, in a smaller level, happen in my life. People go through tough stuff. People have emotional downtimes. People have breakdowns. And sometimes they heal. They can go to therapy. They heal. And then they're, they come out of it and they're fine. You cannot judge somebody on something that happened 13 years ago. Nobody's the same person they were 13 years ago. Nobody is. And you should, and I don't personally believe we should uh, punish people for their worst moment no. either. Like I feel we're like all nobody. We're all bet more than our worst moment. All yeah. of us. And in in this case, when I and when, of course when I mean my worst moment is like the worst moment to happen within yourself. Not yeah. so much like if you hurt someone, that's different. That's, but that's that, not a different thing. But like, but yeah. like, like let's say somebody shaving their head or dyeing their hair and looking like having a rough time. I think I personally have always been. I've always felt kind of bad that like a lot of times the Britney Spears jokes I used to kind of I I didn't necessarily laugh but I didn't mind them as mm-hmm. much and now looking back I look mm-hmm. at all these jokes and yeah. all these things I realize huh that that really I'm not surprised Britney Spears went through what she went through and and Justin Timberlake has has come out and shown support but again 
a lot of people and even myself included don't really feel like it's really his place it's, to say anything say, anymore. No, it isn't. But yeah, my question is, where is there is there no one involved in this whole thing, a separate party that's not a family member who is advocating for Brittany and who's saying, look, she's got her stuff together. Is there no one saying that? I think uh, to answer your question, I think there is a bunch of people, her fans. No, 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 but I'm talking about you need a professional, mental health professional. That's what you need. I think they're going to try to get a mental health professional look at her and all that. They need that like soon. And even in framing Britney Spears, like the mental health professional even admitted that even at the time at her worst, she probably was better off than most people that yeah, were even yeah, worse than that yeah. were around the same time. Well, you know, God bless her, and I really hope that they do. They find a mental health professional to step in, who's neutral party, to check this out because it seems to me, from my, what I've seen, that it's time for Dad to get yeah, get lost and allow her to finally be free of be all her, this. Be her an adult, be herself. Yeah. We have a guest coming up, don't we? Yes, we sure do. Tanya, and I'm, I'm going to ask her how to pronounce her last name because I don't want to butcher it. But she's an environmentalist. There's a big event coming up, uh, Climate Crisis, Global and Local Perspectives, with panelists Tanya and Patrick Evans. We'll talk, talk to her in just a moment. The curtain rises on local and regional arts and entertainment. From music to theater, films to fine art, it's the Culture Corner. Get connected. Call 760-544-TALK. That's 760-544-8255. Here's Bonnie and Brian on iHub Radio. Um, we're back on the Culture Corner. Now we're switching gears a little bit. We're going to talk about uh, the environment and climate crisis. And we're welcoming Tanya Shrobotnyak. Did I say that right? You did say that right, Bonnie. Yay. Nice to meet you. Oh, you too. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, Tanya is the director of the Zilka, I think I got that right, Center for Environmental Initiatives at Williams College. And she is going to be part of this uh, panel, Climate Crisis, Global and Local Perspectives. Uh, Tanya and our own meteorologist, Patrick Evans, with uh, KESQ and News Channel 3, uh, CBS2. Uh, so tell us about this, uh, what's going to be happening with this panel. Yeah, I think we're going to talk about uh, the, um, the major initiatives um, happening uh, right now at the uh, world stage regarding climate change action and what that means for um, U.S. policy for um, you know the average U.S. resident, but also perhaps a little bit about the U.S.'s uh, reengagement with um, um, uh, environmental leaders uh, across the world on, on climate change. And tell us, tell us your you know there are still people, some people out there bizarrely enough who say there's no such thing as climate change or global warming and it's not really happening and it's or you know the man has nothing to do with it how how would you address somebody who still says things like that yeah of course uh, climate change is this this difficult thing really to to grasp and put your mind around because it is truly global in nature and it is uh, unfolding slowly and sometimes in uh, unusual ways um so it's not just that um, you know temperatures are changing, rainfall patterns are, cha- are changing. They don't do that necessarily in a, a very sort of predictable way. And I can understand that uh, people think, oh, this is just um, an um, you know an abnormality in, in the weather. Things will be uh, normal again next year. Um, so we have to really look carefully at. Uh, what the data are telling us, what the science is telling us about these longer-term trends um, in, um, you know, in our region, 
in the U.S. and, and worldwide with respect to, um, for example, heat waves, with respect to the um, occurrence of um, extreme floods and other uh, unusual weather events and whether they might be attributable to um, the way we as humans have been um, using um, one of the sort of main culprits of climate change, and that is fossil fuels, um, because they have that effect that we add carbon dioxide um, to the atmosphere, and that carbon dioxide acts like a, a thickening blanket, if you wish, in our atmosphere, making things you know, warmer on average and also somewhat more unpredictable. So I understand that people have questions and have, have doubts, and we can do um, a, a, a good job, I think, in, in um, ex- explaining what's happening, um, using charts and, and, and also relating it to what people um, experience um, in, in their daily lives, what, what we see around us. Maybe if you live um, like I do now in New England, um, you've noticed that maybe some of the lakes don't freeze over as much anymore as they used to. You know, things like that, that really bring the issue closer to, to, to people's lives. And would you say, I mean, you mentioned that this really is a global issue, but would you, um, do you think the United States people here, um, is, it, is, it, is it sort of equally, is it sort of spread across the, around the globe equally, this problem, or are there certain areas that where it's more of an issue, would you say? Uh, in terms of the impact? Yes. Yeah, what's going on, yeah, with climate yeah. change. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, there is no, not going to be a single region that uh, is going to be unaffected by the, the changes that are starting to unfold. Um, it, 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 the changes themselves do differ. Um, we see um, more extreme heat waves in, in areas that have um, traditionally already been been hot, whereas mm-hmm. we see perhaps more rainfall in other areas. So New England, for example, has, has seen wetter um, years um, over the past few decades um, compared with, you know, 100 years ago, um, whereas, you know, Southern California, where, where you are, right, um, the, the number of 90-plus uh, degree days has, has grown. So there are impacts everywhere but the type and 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 scale of impacts can vary from from place to place and how how, what can the i mean i know there's one human being if if you're not a scientist or not an environmentalist maybe can't do that much but what what could we do the average person on a day-to-day basis is there what could we do to if not help this problem at least not make it worse what can the average person do yeah, I, I get that question all the time. And also I, I get it in conjunction with, oh, what can I as an individual, what does it really matter in the grand scheme of things? Um, mm-hmm. But what I tend to say is I, uh, we all have some agency in, in our lives. And there are certainly uh, uh, small and bigger things that we can do. And we can tailor them to our life situation, to our own needs. So, for example, um, in my house, we have replaced all traditional um, uh, light bulbs with more efficient LED uh, light bulbs. That doesn't cost the world, and it cuts down on my electricity bill, and it saves uh, um, energy overall, which reduces um, the the emissions of of that carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Um, Maybe when the next time comes around and you think about purchasing a new car, take a look at that fuel efficiency sticker that's Mm -hmm. on it and, and see if you could maybe make the switch to a car um, that gets more miles per, per gallon. 
again, right, this is a, is a step that will save you dollars mm-hmm. and it's good for the environment. Um, and so there are absolutely things uh, we can do. If you are thinking about um, maybe remodeling your house, um, uh, think about um, is the insulation in your attic is it good or could it, uh, um, it, it, would it benefit from an upgrade? How about the windows? Um, mm-hmm. you know, how about planting some trees outside that window that give you shade during those hot summer months? Um, all of these things can help lower your uh, bill for um, air conditioning mm-hmm. and help the planet at the same time. So there's something in there for everybody and at all budgets and all life uh, circumstances. Okay, I want to just tell folks a little bit more about Tanya. Uh, She completed her Ph.D. in Environmental Statistics and Policy at the Yale School of Environment in 2007. Uh, Recently, she was the inaugural director of the Hickson Center for Sustainable Environmental Design at Harvey Mudd College. Uh, Her work at uh, also the Nueva School in the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, her work at Nueva involved core curriculum design and environmental citizenship. She obtained the school's first ever recognition as a 2021 Green Ribbon School by the Federal Department of Education. So pretty impressive. And, and by by the way, joining uh, Tanya as a panelist is Patrick Evans. We all know Patrick Evans. He is the, um, um, the meteorologist at KSQ, also the host of Eye in the Desert. He also uh, sings around town. He's a wonderful singer and also um, hosts, uh, is on a radio show, hosts Afternoon Drive on CV 104.3 FM. And Jeff Hawker, who has his own show here at IHUB, is moderating this. So, um, so it's the United Nations Association, Coachella Valley, uh, one of 200 local chapters. So uh, is this, and I'm trying to find this on my, my notes here, Tanya, is this going to be on, online virtual or is this going to be physically at a, at a building? And I'm trying to find that here. I apologize. Yeah, no, it will be virtual okay. uh, because I'm currently in Williamstown in, in New England, Massachusetts, okay. and uh, I'll be joining from here. Okay, great. And so, uh, let's see, to register for this, if you're interested in taking part in this, you want to email Jeff Hawker, so it's Jeff, J-E-F-F, Hawker, H-O-C-K-E-R, numeral one, at gmail.com, and it is uh, the t- June 29th, 4 p.m., uh, Climate Crisis, Global and Local Perspectives. Um so this is really important stuff, really important stuff. What do you see? I've heard people say on the news when they've talked about this that we only have, you know, so many years, 10 years, 11 years, 12 years to kind of get a handle on this before it's uh, almost too late. Uh, what's your, do you kind of agree with that kind of prediction? Uh Yes, the science is uh, pointing in that direction that uh, in order to avoid some of the worst impacts of uh, climate change um, and uh, still be able to, to turn that big ship Earth uh, around to stabilize the, the, the climate at a maximum of uh, a two degrees Celsius uh, warming, um, then uh, we, have, we have to uh, act now. We have to pull our act together um, and individually and collectively um, invest in a, um, a future for, for us, for our children and, and grandchildren um, that involves a, a, a livable planet. Uh, but also, I think the kind of communities, the kind of society that um, allows us to, to prosper, to, to, you know, go to a restaurant, get the movies, live the life that we want, but overall with a smaller carbon footprint and uh, uh, the, the the Biden administration uh, um, after rejoining the Paris climate agreement in, in January has um, announced several ambitious initiatives to um, promote um, well-paying good jobs 
in uh, what we call a, a clean energy economy. So mm-hmm. what, an economy that uses uh, a lot more solar power, that uses a lot more wind power, um, geothermal heat, so heat that's actually provided in, in the ground and that we can use to heat our buildings um, and, 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 and other initiatives that will, will help us uh, reach um, a, a so-called net zero uh, economy by 2050. What that means is we will, by 2050, be able to um, say that we are not adding any new um, carbon to the atmosphere, which, you know, since carbon is that main driver of, of global, you know, warming, global temperature change and the associated impacts of that, we can say, okay, we're essentially, right, stabilizing our climate system. Mm-hmm. And that's where we want to be, ideally by 2050. <laughs> okay. And Rick, can, Rick, can you talk briefly? I've read a little bit about one of the things that people talk about sometimes is uh, for all of us, I don't, I don't eat meat. I haven't eaten meat in 30 years, but to, to eat less meat, meat, to eat less beef, because there's something about cattle and the, the atmosphere and ozone. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. First of all, I, I my congratulations to you to <laughs> having foregone meat for, yeah. for that long already. <laughs> and, and yes, yeah, so in particular, um, uh, beef is mm-hmm. a, uh, a, 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 you know, many of us like it, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But it is a, a, a source of, of, of protein that comes with a fairly um, high um, emissions load, um, so carbon emissions. Um, uh, why? Um, because um, cows burp a lot. <laughs> and also um, the manure uh, that they produce can release uh, a lot of methane into the atmosphere, which is another very potent uh, greenhouse gas, so a gas that contributes to to, um, global warming and climate change. Um, So uh, cattle also requires a fair amount of space um, and has some other sort of land use, agricultural implications. So if you uh, could reduce um, the amount of beef you eat and maybe switch to um, uh, other uh, meat alternatives, so chicken, for example, or, you know, um, the Impossible Burger is out there. I tasted mm-hmm. it. It's not bad. Um, <laughs> okay. <so. laughs> okay. Synthetic, right? New, new all forms of, of um, alternative meat, um, uh, then you would have a, uh, a positive impact yeah. on, on the climate. Excellent. Well, all right. You guys, everyone should check this out. Uh, the Climate Crisis Global and Local Perspectives, moderated by Jeff Hawker with pamula, uh, panelist Tanya Srebotnik and Patrick Evans. It's June 29th at 4 p.m. To register, you can email Jeff. It's jeffhawker1, J-E-F-F-H-O-C-K-E-R, numeral one, at gmail.com. Tanya, thank you so very much for being here. We've learned a lot from this and really, really appreciate it. And I hope that you guys get uh, lots of participants on this. It sounds like a very uh, educational event. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bonnie. Thank you so much. Uh, it was a pleasure joining you. All right. Thanks. All right, stay, stay cool. Yeah, so check it out. See, we have some education on here, too, not just entertainment. It's called culture. All right. We'll be back with more in just a bit. You're listening to Bonnie Gilgallen and Brian Mendoza. Talking arts and entertainment on iHub Radio's The Culture Corner. Live from the desert cities of Southern California, here's Brian and Bonnie. And in this segment, we're going to have 
a little bit more of a lighter take Lighten on. it up just a little bit. We, we've been a pretty heavy episode so far. Surprisingly for a show about culture. Well, and culture's not always happy, happy. That's true. That's true. But I wanted to talk. I wanted to tell Bonnie about the fact that. So in 1996, Disney released a version of a, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. You've read the book, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How would you, would you describe that as a pretty dark book? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty dark book yeah. that deals with like sin and racism and prejudice. Yeah, right. Yeah. So. This, the version in Disney, they decided to create a, I'm going to say, family-friendly version of it. And they had to change a couple things to keep it G-rated. Mm-hmm. So, for example, when they said, this, when they, um, when the character said the word sin, they had to actually lower the volume mm-hmm. of the sound <laughs> of the word sin. I think that's a little extreme. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, also, like, certain lyrics during a song called Hellfire, which is a song about a um judge because in the movie judge claude frollo he this he wants to he basically wants the female uh, the main female character esmeralda he basically lusts for her so Mm -hmm. during the song hellfire where he talks about how he's trying to be a god-fearing man but also tries and he's trying to reconcile it with his control his desires basically yeah basically so they got a they finagle that they finagled it a bit because they had a choir in the background so some parts of the song they rose up the volume of the choir and the instruments in order to you know uh, to make sure that if kids were watching it that they won't hear some of the more Why aggressive they just lyrics. change the words <laughs> and the the funny thing is like even the one of the directors at disney said that they took the material and they already had cleaned it up a lot by that mm-hmm. point so when they were told by the mpaa just lower down the volume of certain words. And so it turns out they weren't told they couldn't say the word sin. They just couldn't be loud. Or in, okay. their, in this one scene, the villain grabs one of the characters, the main heroine. Well, the main hero is um, Quasimodo. But the, uh, the main heroine, uh, he grabs her and sniffs her hair, which is already kind of out there for a movie designed for a children's Mm -hmm. audience it's like it's already Mm -hmm. kind of out there but i feel like i give kids credit for that scene because they know he's the bad guy Mm -hmm. so they know that that's not right Mm -hmm. but they had to actually lower the sound of like the Mm -hmm. sniffing sound they had to lower that down so like if you see the movie even if you have it super loud it's still a little bit Mm -hmm. lower than the rest Mm -hmm. of the movies and it was such an and the director talked about how he said we're basically the most R-rated, G-rated movie of all time because mm. we got away with so much stuff just because, just because we've lowered the volume. We can have a man sniffing a, hair, a woman's hair as long as the volume was low on it, and it was just okay, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> right? And Michael Jackson was originally going to sing the songs for that movie too, but he, he was declined. Declined. Well, you know, I yeah, I mean, I can understand that. Yeah. And but hey, why don't we talk about Andrew Lloyd Webber's? Yes, this hasn't been an ongoing saga. Uh, so the so Andrew Lloyd Webber saga. Yeah. So basically, at this point, uh, England has basically said you can open up at fifty percent capacity, and Andrew Lloyd Webber is not very happy about that. He's going to mm-hmm. try to sue the UK. He's now suing the UK government because he said that he feels that this is going to hurt the industry because he said a lot of like local theater shops are going to go out of business they're going to lose gigs and all that he felt that it he he just felt that it was unfair to him because a lot of sporting events are still happening 
and which is a, that's a fair criticism like if sporting events are happening but not musical shows well, that, that, okay that that is the legitimate ar- argument that is a legitimate argument but for him to say well if I can only open at 50% capacity of course he's got millions of dollars then that's not fair then to l- other little theaters over there that really doesn't compute and he basically what happened was that the UK government had actually had a um uh, an events research program where they try to figure out like what is the safest way to do this can we yeah. be safe at this point because of the delta variant which at this point if you have heard the news then you know what that mm-hmm. is like the yeah. delta variant and it's very big in england yeah. so COVID's not over that's the thing it's not a hundred percent over and that's what people need to realize yeah and of course and so they were trying to see how they can find out how to test people and how to uh, figure out a way to make events pass possible. How can they make them possible? Basically, because they haven't released the results yet. Andrew Lloyd Webber wants to sue them to get the results of this study because he wants to know: Am I being gypped mm-hmm. out of this event? Mm-hmm. Like, and I think Andrew Lloyd Webber surprised me a bit because when the pandemic happened, I think I've said this before, he was very very generous on mm-hmm. free shows online mm-hmm. so you can watch a youtube his youtube channel had free shows it also had um he also composed um covers like he did covers of his own music so like he would play on the piano like a whole song and so you can watch him and i was surprised by his actions here because i thought i get it mr weber like you want i get that you just want to have your show on and i know you have Cinderella has been pushed back a lot, but you know what? A lot of different things have been pushed. He's back. not the only one, please. And again, you know, it's not like his, you know, he's he's on the welfare lines. So no, definitely not. And I know that he's also said like, um, he he actually d- rejected, in his opinion, like the the invitation for Cinderella to be part of the events research program because he feels that I don't know, I, I don't know exactly like what. Oh, I, I think he should have let that be part of it where he could they can test it out and see how that show plays because if, if it's an Andrew Lloyd Webber show, it's bigger. It's mm-hmm. not like it's not like a lot of the local theater shows right. here. It's a whole different thing. Yeah. So for me, like I would want him to be more willing to because I think this is, would be an opportunity for him to to be to prove that his shows can be safe because I think his shows are too big. Mm-hmm. And also I think I just think he honestly needs to, you know, if he really cares about theaters, maybe fight for funding. I think he's being he's, he's being a little self-centered. He's yeah, not, I agree. You know, he's worried about him, 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 his show. Well, I mean, there are things he's got enough money and enough success that he could put put Cinderella on hold or open to fifty percent and go help some of these little, little theaters that are about to go under. No, I that's agree. what he should be doing. I agree, and I've I've said this before is that he talks about how the government is imposing on little theaters. But I do think he's that, not a little theater, but he has opportunities to get funding. Maybe he can lobby for like a bill or something. Help them. That, that Yeah, exactly. That's going to help everybody, not just him. Yeah. And I know? think that I honestly don't I don't want to be sued for libel, but I think this is just a case of he wants he just wants to be on stage. He just wants to show I understand on. Yeah, I get that, that. Fe- that feeling. I get that. But someone in his position um I think could take a more uh, comprehensive look at it and what's going to help everyone and not just himself. I That's agree. just my two cents. And I agree with that. I think that Andrew Lloyd Webber, you know, I understand the frustration. We all want to be back in theaters and all that. But, you know, you got to 
you got to be patient is yeah. what I'm saying. And also try to help out other theaters, exactly. you know, in the end of all this. Exactly. But hey, this is just the first hour. We have another hour coming up. Yes. We got some more guests, some more news. We'll be back in just a bit on the Culture Corner. <laughs> 